Good morning, Apostles Houston. I uh, just want to welcome you if you're worshiping with us on our campus or if you're worshiping with us online. Uh, so glad that you're here. If you would, wherever you are, stand uh, as we read from our gospel this morning. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would remind us of who we are and what our eternal destiny is. That in Jesus, we have hope that is beyond our present moment. Because one day he will return and he will take us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think many of us right now are thinking a lot about the future. Uh, In part because of everything that we're facing with COVID. But I think even more than that, more than the uncertainty that that's created, there's... there's, uh, a lot of questions really that center around kind of the political future, uh, the future of our country, especially with the, the national election coming up. People are asking, what will the future of America look like? And, and I'm kind of imagining there's really two ways that most people tend to answer that. Uh, one way is to, is to kind of look back and try to answer that question. It says, if we could just get back to, to you know, the good old days uh, in our country, you know, when, when children respected their parents, when people always kept their word, when most people kind of got along and TV shows were wholesome and there was you know, this sense of, of freedom, no big brother kind of watching your every move, back to that America uh, where most people were, were nice Christians and we were a God-fearing country, you know, a place where biblical uh, laws were kind of expressed in, in our country's laws. And before, you know, the moral fiber of our nation began to be kind of torn apart. There's, there's that kind of posture of kind of looking back and saying, if we just get back to that. In fact, columnist David Brooks wrote just last week uh, in an article that many people in our country uh, feel, quote, the traditional American way of life is disappearing so fast that we may actually have to use force to save it. He goes on to say that nearly as many believe a time will come when patriotic Americans will have to take the law into their own hands. You can feel this this strong nostalgic impulse there. And so this idea that we need to take whatever steps we need to take to get back to uh, the old days, uh, to stop kind of the moral decline of our nation. So there's that, that view. And then there's another view that actually is the opposite of that. Uh, it's a view that says, no, no, we shouldn't look to the past. We should actually look forward. They, they say the good old days weren't all that good at all, uh, if you really think about it. There was all kinds of social injustice and economic inequality, greed, gross hypocrisy. Um, so instead of pointing back with nostalgia, uh, these folks who want to point forward with kind of this idealism. They believe that through education and political action, legislation, social activism, we can actually reform our nation and become a better version of ourselves in the future. And so it's this kind of progressively advancing march towards a a socio-political utopia. Now the problem is that both of these approaches, 
uh, nostalgia on the one hand and, and idealism on the other, are, are equally misguided. To paraphrase Martin Luther King Jr., he said, uh, they represent improved means to unimproved ends. That's to say they'll never actually achieve their goal, the world as it should be, the world as it was meant to be. Pastor Vaughn Roberts said, the world as it was meant to be, uh, with God at the center and human beings loving Him and, and loving one another, that world would not be accomplished by looking back or by looking forward. It's not something that we can actually achieve. It's, it's, it's something we can't look back for or forward for. It's something we have to look up for. He said that because in Revelation 21.2, John has a vision of the future. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be as their God. The new Jerusalem that John talks about here represents the ideal. It's the place where God is honored and his will is done. As John says in verse 4, it's the place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where death will be no more, where there will be no mourning or crying or pain, for the old way of things will pass away. So this vision of the future, it gives us hope. Because it is what we really long for at the core of who we are. We really long for that future with God. But it's also a reality check. Because it's a vision of the future that we have to acknowledge we cannot achieve here on earth. It's a future that only God can bring. It reminds us that as followers of Jesus, that this future, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the kingdom of God, that it's not just our future, but it's also our home now. We are citizens of God's kingdom, citizens of heaven, as it were. And one day we'll, we'll enter into that reality fully. We'll, we'll be with and live with God forever. But as we wait for that future to come, as we wait for Jesus' return and for Him to bring that kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, what we have to do is we have to learn how to live away from home. As 1 Peter 2.11 says, we have to learn how to live as strangers, as, as aliens, as exiles in this world. You know, interesting, one of the ways the Bible talks about this life that we have to live in the here and now as exiles is to describe it as Babylon. If the new Jerusalem is the place where God is honored and His will is done, Babylon is the city, the kingdom where God is rejected and His will is not done. Babylon, in other words, is the sinful, uh, rebellious city of humanity. St. Augustine basically described the, the whole biblical story as a tale of two cities, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and the city of Babylon, the city of man. So why does the Bible use Babylon? Why does it carry this kind of symbolic significance? Well, it goes back to the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 11, we're told that very early on in human history, human beings sought to establish their own city, their own kingdom apart from God. They said, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. It's the story of the Tower of Babel, and it's actually the birth of the city of Babylon. And Babel and Babylon appear over and over in the story of the Bible. Because Babylon represents the world in rebellion against God. It represents our world even now. And so in a sense, until Jesus returns, we are all living in the city of Babylon. And the good news is that in the end of the Bible, in Revelation, what it tells us is that this Babylon will fall 
and the new Jerusalem, God's city, God's kingdom will be established forever. But again, the question is, well, what do we do now? What do we do in this life, in this moment, in the present? Because we don't live in the new Jerusalem. And no matter what we do, we won't be able to create it in America or, or in Israel or, or anywhere else on earth. Because for now, we live in Babylon and we live as exiles. How do we have faith, in other words, as those who live in exile? As followers of Jesus, as, as individuals, as a church family, as people in exile, we're not home yet. And so how do we live in exile? Over the next few months, we're going to explore the book of Daniel. And, and we're going to ask God to help us through his word to answer that question. I'm really excited about this because the book of Daniel is actually a story of God's people living in exile. In fact, let me read to you from Daniel chapter 1. This is how it begins. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel became Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And so as we, we jump into the book of Daniel... I just want to help us get a little bit of our historical bearings here. So Babylon is, is a superpower, right? And Israel, uh, what was left of it, the southern kingdom of Judah, is no military match. And so in 605 B.C., the Babylonian Empire laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And Babylon captured the city, they plundered the temple, and they took many of the city's leaders and the young members of the royal family into exile, back to the city of Babylon with them. And this group included Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the first half of the book, Daniel 1 through 6, is about their struggle to live as exiles and maintain faith and hope in a world that rejects God and rejects all their beliefs. It's an incredible story of how Daniel and his friends not only survive, but ultimately thrive as exiles in Babylon. And then chapters 7 through 12, they contain visions and prayers and prophecies about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And these chapters, they, they highlight the conflict between the city of Babylon and the city of God. It reveals just how destructive evil human kingdoms can become apart from God. And they show how much we need God and His reign in the world. It's a powerful book, and I'm really excited for us to work our way through Daniel, and really for several reasons. Uh, for one, because I think it reveals the importance of a thoughtful faith and the necessity of prayer and the power of prophecy. 
As followers of Jesus, we are called to, to become like Jesus and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And so we need to understand how to think like Jesus and to live like Jesus and to, and to minister like Jesus. So that includes learning how to think carefully and how to pray and how to understand the role of prophecy in our lives today as exiles. But I think more than anything, I'm excited for us to get into the book of Daniel because it's a book about wisdom. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, what we call the Old Testament, uh, it was divided into three sections. Uh, it was the law, the prophets, and the writings. And interestingly, even though the book of Daniel is probably over half of it's made up of visions and prophecies, and Daniel himself is referred to as a prophet, the book is not considered a prophetic book. It's actually included in the writings. It's included in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And that's because Daniel is primarily about how to live as followers of Jesus, as citizens of God's kingdom, even as we live in exile. Even the prophecies are meant to give us perspective on the future so we know how to live in the present, which is why Daniel speaks so much to us today. And why I think Daniel is so relevant for us today, because he's writing. This writing is for all of us, all those who live and wait in exile. In their book, Faith for Exiles, David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock argue that we are actually living in the age of a digital Babylon. They, they write this. They say, empires subjugate weaker nations using a variety of tactics including colonial strategies deployed to, to transform language, economics, and the cultural imagination of conquered peoples. Daniel and the Jewish elite taken into captivity were subjugated to a cultural conquest nearly as devastating as their martial defeat. As we'll see, everything that happens to Daniel and his friends was meant to slowly but surely make them citizens of Babylon. In the book, they go on to say that if literal Babylon was around today, the internet would certainly be in the imperial toolbox. You know, a lot of, of good has come from technological advance. Um, but as many have pointed out, and I think as we are uh, increasingly aware, the use of technology, and particularly our phones and social media, have the power to shape and influence us more than I think we're even uh, consciously aware and, and so just as an example, just consider this. Uh, according to research by the Barna Group, the average teenager uses screen media for about 3,000 hours a year. Kenneman's research shows that for teens who follow Jesus, only about 300 of those hours contain spiritual content of any kind. And, and for uh, teenagers who don't know Jesus, uh, that drops to about 150 hours of spiritual content. So Babylon... In other words, the, the understanding, the worldview that has no God and lives in rebellion against God has a 10 to 1 ratio in terms of forming and shaping our children through technology. So as a parent, just let that sink in, what that means. Because this isn't just for children either. This is for all of us. They go on to explain and provide startling research that reveals an astonishing truth about a digital Babylon, that it is transforming us and it is redefining our worlds. As followers of Jesus, we're, we're only marginally aware, I think, of just how much our screens are actually discipling us, changing the way we see ourselves, we see one another, and see reality. And so I would say we desperately need the book of Daniel. 
We need the book of Daniel, and it's called to live as followers of Jesus who are resiliently faithful, and in, even in the face of great cultural coercion, that we would be followers of Jesus who, who are vibrant, countercultural, beautiful, and spirit-filled. And so our home uh, is the city of God, His kingdom. It's the new Jerusalem. But for now we live as exiles in Babylon. And I think right now in a world marked by fear and anxiety about a global pandemic, about social injustice and unrest, a world filled with deep political division and uncertainty, God wants to remind us that we are not home and that we cannot make this place our home, but we can live as faithful exiles as we await Jesus' return. Like Daniel, we can honor God and we can actually bring him glory as exiles in Babylon. And so next week we're going to dive into chapter 1. Uh, and what I want to encourage you to do is in the weeks ahead, um, if you want to go to ApostlesHouston.org, uh, we're going to be putting up resources uh, on Daniel, including uh, some weekly kind of reflection and discussion questions. Um, but for this week, as we get started, I want to just challenge you to read through the book of Daniel. Read through the whole book this week. It's only 12 chapters, so you can, you can knock out two chapters a night in Daniel. And, and as you read it, I want to ask you um, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read through God's Word, to encourage you and to challenge you with this question. What does it mean to have faith in exile? Would you pray with me? God, we need your help in answering that question. And we thank you that your, your word is, um, Lord, it is the source of, of godly wisdom. And we need your wisdom, Lord, to navigate life, especially in this place of exile in Babylon. And Lord, help us to remember what our true home is, that we, we are those who are living here, but our home is in the city of God. Our home is with you for eternity. So we pray that as we enter into this season of, of learning from the book of Daniel. You would speak to us and form us and shape us that we might bring you glory and honor in this age. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.